0: Hi, and welcome to the DebtWire Middle Market Podcast. I'm Bill Weisbrod, Senior Reporter with DebtWire. Today, we're joined by a pair of restructuring attorneys, David Hillman and Chad Dale, partners in Proskauer's Private Credit Restructuring Group. And we're going to talk about where that industry stands after last year's tumult. Thanks for joining us, David. Uh, Great to be here. And thanks for joining us, Chad. Thanks for having us, Bill. So let's get to it. Can you briefly talk us through what the credit funds you work with are doing under current market conditions?
1: Right now, I would say it's all about one thing, um, dry powder. Um, There is an incredible amount of front end deal activity. Um, It's at a historic and unprecedented pace. Part of it is because M&A is on a tear, breaking all sorts of records. Actually, through the third quarter of 2021, uh, global M&A has eclipsed all full year records. And part of the uh, dry powder to fuel that M&A activity comes from the private credit markets. And right now, I'd say on the Proskauer side, we have 826 active loans for an aggregate Uh, $138 billion of transaction value. So in a nutshell, our clients are active, extraordinarily active on the front end, deploying capital at a historic pace.
0: So how do you think those conditions are going to impact the next wave of restructuring?
2: I think what you've got is an ultra-competitive marketplace that's really a a buyer's market, so to speak. I think companies are getting, um, much more flexible terms, more money, you know, in, in quantum that we've never seen before. So I think balance sheets are going to be uh, more levered than we've ever seen before. I think lenders, private credit lenders in particular, uh, are going to have much more limited ability to force borrowers to do things they want them to do, uh, to maximize loan recoveries. It'll have a profound impact no
0: question. So those market conditions are not all that different from before the pandemic early last year when there was a lot of money chasing deals especially uh money raised by private credit funds. What were the main takeaways from last year's restructuring wave for you guys and did we learn anything about how private credit funds handle underperforming loans and restructured deals as opposed to bank led syndicates?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, Bill. I think we learned a fair amount, even though the, the recession was, was short-lived. It was, yeah, the increase in restructuring activity was, was pretty intense. But you have to remember that the circumstances that triggered the, the recession of 2020, right? A global pandemic, uh, were unique, unparalleled in our lifetime. So I'm not sure that the degree of cooperation and collaboration that we saw between our lender clients and borrowers and sponsors uh, is going to repeat itself in the next cycle, but our experience was that most private credit lenders worked very constructively with with companies and their sponsors to create a runway for recovery. You know, companies though that that didn't have continued financial support from their sponsors, or where the capital need of the company was too great for the sponsor to justify additional investment. You know, those companies, of course, were, were treated pretty differently. And, and so by contrast with what you see, uh, with bank led syndicates, you know, our private credit clients, um, are very comfortable deploying new capital to facilitate sales or changes of control transactions. Um, most of those transactions occurred out of court, but where the change of control couldn't be accomplished out of court, our lenders quickly pivoted to facilitate sale processes where they served as stalking horse credit bidders and dip lenders. Now, our clients, you know, unlike bank-led syndicates, are fully prepared to own and operate and to finance uh, a borrower's business right through a turnaround. Even though not all of them want to be the ultimate owner. Um, so, where you have a private credit client that is um, hesitant to own and operate a business long term, they can use a credit bidding process to set the bar, the price for the business, at a place that keeps the market honest. And we deployed that strategy with great success just in the, in the last 12 months in cases like Alamo Drafthouse, Nine Point Energy, the collected group, paper source, La Um,
1: so I, I think we have learned a lot of lessons, even though the recession was short lived. Agree with everything Chad said. I want to add one more piece and that is building consensus. And this is a huge, an important distinguishing factor between a private credit club deal, which sometimes has one, maybe up to five or six lenders um, who are usually like-minded investors. and If we compare and contrast that to what it's like to build consensus in a widely syndicated tranche of debt where you have a diverse investor base with hedge funds, special situation investors who may have bought in more recently. CLOs who may have um, provisions in their organization documents that may prevent them from taking on certain types of restructurings, pensions and mutual funds, it's much harder to build consensus for an exit strategy as compared to a much smaller group. And and having a, a, a similar view and eliminating some of those structural limitations on exit options has made restructuring in the private credit area slightly easier to achieve than in some of the more broadly syndicated deals.
0: Well, a lot of our readers and subscribers at DebtWire are, as you mentioned, those special situation funds, hedge funds. Do you think that the rise of, of private credit and the proliferation of deals done, you know, club loan deals, do you think, um, you know, given what you just said, how much do you think that sort of undermines the business model of um, some of these funds that that like to trade in and out of, of distress, more liquid loan deals?
1: I don't think it impacts the business model one iota. On the syndicated side, you have roughly uh, 1,800 issuers with uh, 1. $1.3 in loans. That area is ripe for special situations investors to make opportunistic plays, um, as they've done for decades. What I am saying is, because of the less liquid nature of the private credit club deals, still liquid, but no, you know, uh, readily available secondary market to, you know, hit a trade pretty quick. Um, That some of the strategies available to the special situations investors um, may not be uh, uh, as readily accessible in private credit club deals as it is in the more broadly syndicated market.
0: It's interesting. You touched on this earlier, but generally speaking, how would you say private credit club loan, do they prefer... Bankruptcies, out of court workouts depends on the situation. Um, you know, how much did you learn about that last year? Good question.
2: You know, out of court restructurings are always the first choice for our clients, and you know, we we pride ourselves uh, and work very hard on coming up with out of court strategies for our clients. You know, but not every situation lends itself to an out of court solution. You know, even where you have Most of the lenders in a single tranche agreeing on the terms of restructuring transaction. You know, sometimes you run into holdouts, uh, holdouts within a single tranche, or if you have a first lien, second lien deal and you can't get the second lien lenders to sign on, you know, that's a situation where you don't have a choice, but to uh, resort to, to bankruptcy. You know, there's also company side, um, factors that, You know, force restructurings into bankruptcy. You know, retailers are the best example of that. Retailers these days are shrinking their brick and mortar footprints. Um, they're getting out of brick and mortar altogether. Uh, Very hard to accomplish that out of court. So, um, bankruptcy is a, is a, is a clean option there. You know, similarly manufacturing and distribution, you know, kind of these old industry businesses that have legacy costs, retiree liabilities. Underfunded pension plans, you know, those are not problems that can be tackled outside of court. But whatever the circumstance, first option is out of court, bankruptcy is the last option. David, do you agree?
1: The data that we have really supports the conclusion that private credit deals are, for the large part, restructured out of court. you know. Chad gave you a list of cases earlier that were in court for all the reasons that Chad just articulated, but the vast majority of everything we did was resolved in a conference room or a, a Zoom session and not a courtroom. And it's the, the reasons are simple. It's private, so you stay out of the headlines. Second, it's cheaper and faster. Last, there's more certainty of outcome um, if you can reach an agreement with a sponsor um, or with other stakeholders that's not dependent on a favorable ruling from a judge or uh, uh, maneuvers by out of the money constituents looking to throw a monkey wrench into the process as a leverage for a tip, that is the path that is clearly going to be a trend that will continue out of court ahead of in court when it's achievable.
0: Going back to something we alluded to earlier, how did the proliferation of COV loans, even in smaller club deals in recent years, impact restructurings in twenty twenty?
2: Significantly, I, w- I would say, Bill. You know, maintenance covenants, fixed charge coverage, minimum EBITDA, leverage covenants—those are all uh, early warning signs for for lenders. You know, a covenant default gives a lender the most precious commodity of all time, right? Time to sit down with a borrower, with a sponsor to address underlying problems that cause the default, you know, cov light loans or cov loose loans, which we're seeing more of um, where the covenants are tied to EBITDA and the definition of EBITDA is vulnerable to very generous addbacks, backs, um, which really render the, the covenants themselves toothless, right? Those are effectively cov light loans. And and those loans put the borrower and the sponsors in a position where they can run out the clock on the lenders. They can consume time and money pursuing kind of higher risk strategies that may have a higher reward for them, but they make absolutely no sense for our lenders. You know, our lenders will do better 100% of the time when they have a longer runway. And they will not have a longer runway, and we saw this um, countless times, where there's no default in the ability to take action and and force a borrower or a sponsor to make decisions. So I think it's it's had a significant impact, and it will have an even greater impact going
0: forward. So, yeah, I mean, specifically in terms of how that played out last year, did that mean, you know, creditors had a harder time bringing companies and sponsors to the table, or... They just had less leverage. I mean, were there any anything specifically you can say about you know, how that played out from what you saw when during last year's upheaval?
1: The challenge that I think we have to draw conclusions of the COVID-induced recession is something Chad said in the beginning. Um, it was um, it was extreme, and as a result, there was a higher degree of cooperation between borrowers, sponsors, and lenders than I think we would have anticipated in a um, more normal recession. Remember, you know, rev- the revenue spigot for many companies was completely shut off. Um, so, the restructuring in the beginning of the recession was a lot of amend and extend um, to bridge to the other side of a recession. But what Chad describes as sort of the looming problem with doing a restructuring, when you don't have the early warning triggers and you're trying to do a restructuring against the backdrop of an acute liquidity crisis may make things more difficult because you may eliminate optionality because you didn't get to the table earlier. That said, I'm not sure our experience over the last 12 to 18 months is necessarily uh a trend that we will see um in the next cycle
0: so you think that just the sheer amount of CovLite loans in market now the impact of that could play out quite differently in the next restructuring cycle fair to say yeah i think so yeah
2: i, I think that's right
0: so on another topic you know lender on lender violence has been a theme in corporate finance over the past few years how has that played out for middle market companies with less liquid debt and fewer creditors involved.
1: We see less of the, what you describe as lender on lender violence. And so uh, let's just quickly unpack the, the concept of what you're talking about. And we keep our eye on all of those transactions, whether it's the high profile ones like Trimark, Board Riders, and and CERTA, but effectively, you know, what we're seeing, and I think it's fair to call it a trend, is that the borrower and a subgroup of lenders, usually enough that constitute rec lenders, engage in a transaction, often, a, you know, priming or tiering transaction that benefits one group to the detriment of another. You know, sometimes uh, the borrowers may call these, you know, liability management strategies, but I would say they're less prevalent in the private credit deals for a few reasons. One... Private credit lenders often co-invest in multiple deals together. So those relationships tend to act as a deterrent to the lender on lender violence or what we often call shenanigans. So not only do you have lender and lender relationships, you also have lender and sponsor relationships. Those relationships cut across multiple deals and they, all, they also uh, deter shenanigan plays. And last, the middle market and lower middle market deals tend to be tighter, which allows less room for mischief, which is um, you know the plumbing that permits some of what we're calling the lender on lender violence. So, what's the punchline here? Fewer of these shenanigan plays in the private credit deals, but we are. Always, and our clients are always, uh, you know, assuming the worst, understanding the risks, working to build consensus, and we spend an awful lot of time figuring out what is the art of the possible of what's the worst that could happen in a credit, um, even if we don't expect the sponsor or other lenders to go down that path. We must always understand what what the uh, what the game playing field looks like.
0: Well, it's a club deal, and you a lot of these these funds and these firms they don't want to get they want to be invited to the club next time around so um maybe it's uh, it's a different dynamic i guess
1: exactly it's different when you don't when you have nameless faceless uh dozens or hundreds of co-investors uh as compared to a group of five or six
0: are there any examples in the middle market in club deals that you can think of that might be um similar to uh, some of those bigger higher profile examples
2: yeah you know we we handled a lot of change of control transactions for private credit clients last year bill and you know this was an issue that we examined early and often for clients right what was your exposure to a liability management exercise a la CERTA, trimark boardwriters and we routinely had minority lenders in those groups as they converted from, you know, the holders of debt to the owners of the business and probably the holder of debt also, some take back paper. They were insisting on CERTA protections as a condition of participation. And because of the uh, collegial nature of the club, they were regularly getting them. You know, the same is true even at the inception of a, of a default. Right. We would examine whether or not um, they, the the lender client group was exposed to liability management risk and in exchange for forbearance or new money or covenant waivers, whatever, they were closing down the holes in their credit agreement. So, yeah, we see, we see it with a fair amount of frequency. David's right. Um, you know, as you move down market in size, um, you see less of it, but you still
0: see it. Got it. Well, thanks, guys. Is there anything else relevant to this conversation that either of you would like to point out that you think would be of note to our, uh, our audience?
1: I think I'd, I'd conclude with just one observation. We're clearly in a low default rate environment. I think the defaults on the syndicated side are you know, less than 0.5%. We just released our private credit Default index showing, you know, at least on the Proscar platform, a default rate in the third quarter of roughly one and a half percent. But w- what we what we don't know is, you know, what comes next. What's in the crystal ball? We know that the Fed is going to begin tapering. We know that there's, you know, inflation risks, supply chain disruption, labor problems, COVID variant issues. So I don't know when. We will see an uptick in the restructuring activity, but at least from my perspective i would lead I would end with a closing observation that credit cycles are not extinct, and so there will be more action.
2: I agree with David you know I gave up predicting recessions a long time ago, but there are plenty of of signs of of things that could cause that next wave right It's inflation, the fed tapering the rising interest rates right all of those things could conspire to to start that next wave left we'll to
0: see yeah for sure when i first started covering this world everyone said you know we're in the late innings the late the, the late innings of a of a bull market and then it you know it was that way for a few years and then all of a sudden COVID happened and then here we are back again so you know all those things you mentioned are certainly things i'm watching and are on the table but trying to predict when and where and how might be a fool's errand Well, thanks, guys. Really appreciate taking the time. Best of luck.
1: Thanks, Bill. Thank you, Bill.
0: Thanks for listening to the DebtWire Middle Market Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe and stay tuned for more episodes.